0: Hello and welcome to the Cyber Sisters podcast where your Cyber Sisters, Allison and Emily, two cyber educators talking about ed tech pedagogy and this week, building virtual classroom. And welcome back, everyone. I am so excited that you're joining us for another fantastic episode of Cyber Sisters. Um, and we have another fantastic guest on the roster for us, brought to you from the same school that Emily and I teach at. This is going to be our first time having another Agora teacher on uh, with us today, and we're really excited. Um, his name is Eric Peiffer, and he is a fantastic educator here. When Emily and I were sort of brainstorming who we want to be on this podcast, we were really excited um, to be able to bring in some virtual educators, people who have been doing this just as long, if not longer than we have, um, and who have really, I think, a lot of awesome things to share. Um, Eric, you are known at Agora here for having amazing virtual classroom community and as we've been talking with many of the educators who we've been in touch with over the summer and over these last few months, this has been a huge question. There's been so many people who have been talking about building virtual community and is this something that can even be done over a computer? And I think your classroom really is a perfect example that yes, it can be done, it can be done well. Um, So would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us about your sort of journey coming to education?
1: I had a long journey coming to education, and hey, it's nice nice to uh, be with you. uh, I gotta tell you, I'm a big fan of the of the show, so it's fun to be here. I do have to apologize; I don't have my spirit wear on today, Um, but uh, we can you know we can pretend that I'm wearing my Agora shirt today.
0: We'll all have all of our stuff together.
1: (laughs) So I came into education kind of by the. uh, a side route with lots of lots of paths going in. Um I started my first job actually out of high school was as a costume at Bush Gardens. Have you ever been to Bush Gardens? I was I was Friendly the Eagle. So I think that probably kind of set up my career in education, you know, being the friendly the eagle. <laughs> um who was kind of the mascot at that time. Friendly's been retired. I was the final Friendly. Um but I was the mascot for Bush Garden jumping around and greeting people and getting pictures and having lots of fun. Um, and then I, I had some time as a career uh, in music. I traveled with Shaka Khan for a while and I ran a band, uh, a band called Life on Mars. Uh, we, we named our band at the time when the rover first landed on Mars and we figured that would be great publicity for us. So we had a lot of fun with that and uh, traveled around and did that. And I actually get to vote for the Grammys because of that, which is fun. That's why the Grammys are, you know, an okay thing, because I get to vote for them. <laughs> um, so I apologize. if you're, If your people don't win... Sorry, it was my fault. But my, my first uh, professional work was actually in psychology. I studied, uh, got my uh, graduate degree in psychology at uh, Drexel University. It used to be Hahnemann University. And spent some time learning about people who were in crisis. So um, I actually traveled around the country and set up organizations helping people with uh, families of people with serious mental illness. And I was on my way to just about having that Ph.D., Um, in psychoneuroimmunology. Can you spell that?
0: Uh, No, I cannot. I would like to say for the record, no, I cannot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I was working with terminal cancer patients. And when I got, I got very, very sick with Lyme disease. When I got Lyme disease and I was very sick, I was out of commission for quite a while. I had to do some uh, rehab with that. And when I came back, I decided, well, should I go back and finish my psychology work? which I had the option to do, or should I kind of turn a little bit? And my psychology work had been really heavy. I mean, you know, this is what I had done. I'd worked with families of people with serious mental illness and people who were terminally ill with cancer. And when I had the chance to come back, I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn it around from people who are in absolute crisis to people who are growing. So I decided then to uh, go into education. So I went and got my did my work in education, and had found out that I absolutely loved it. I worked in public school for, in the side brick-and-mortar school for some years in mm-hmm. Philadelphia and Camden. And it was a super fun. I mean, I, I loved it. Then I had a baby. Well, I didn't have a baby. My wife had a baby. I became a father. <laughs> and, and I had the opportunity to spend the first year home with my son Harry and that was a wonderful thing and then I realized that you know I had to get back into the workforce so um, I started this career in cyber education and I've been here now for, for quite a few
0: years It's been awesome to have you on the team and I one of the things that I really appreciate about teaching is that it kind of is a grab bag of skills right I think that many of the best teachers are not just people who have spent time learning pedagogy and about curriculum and you know you you specifically mentioned psychology but, but psychology and sociology i think that in many ways teaching is a profession that brings in people who have all of these other wonderful skills about connection right and it makes perfect sense to me that you are so good at connecting with your students because you spent a lot of time connecting with audiences right whether that be that costume character or you know in in your band and like it's super cool that you get to vote in the grammys i'm glad i have that lifeline for like when i have strong failings eric you're gonna get to hear about them um (laughs) But, but I do think that people are sort of brought to this, who have that desire to make connection. And that desire can come, you know, it it can sort of be manifested in everything from I used to be a performer to I was working with people who were terminally ill, people who were undergoing very tremendous difficult times in their life. Um, And all of that, I think, reflects really well in teaching and serves us here um, as, as educators.
1: Yeah, teaching is a relational profession. I mean, I think, you know, when when a lot of people, when they're thinking about teaching and when they think about what a teacher is, they think a teacher is somebody who delivers information. And yeah, I mean, anybody can deliver information, but that's not really, in my view, what the heart of teaching is. The heart of teaching is having a relationship with a group of people and helping them to grow in a direction that you are helping them to grow, that you want them to help to grow. So as you're, you know, as you're all working together, heading towards a goal together, that's the way you're going to be successful in the teaching profession. If what, if you, what you really want to do is you just want to deliver information, um, I think you're going to get stuck. You're going to get stuck with uh, kids with blank faces and blank uh, screens kind of staring at you. Saying, you know, who is this person trying to just tell me stuff? Part of the thing what kids hate about being being kids is that they're always being told stuff. Don't don't do this. <laughs> don't do that. You got to do this. You got to do your homework. You got to do this. You gotta, and and there's no better way to turn kids off in a, the relationship of a classroom than just telling them stuff. So yeah, I'm 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 with you. I think that getting the relational stuff, all my all my relationship stuff from the background, is really the stuff which helped to um get my kids involved and help me to develop the skills that I need in a cyber cyber environment and I've had virtual teaching is is also good for delivery too because you know the amount of high level information we can teach along with the relationship stuff is fantastic
0: I have often said that when I was doing my student teaching and my placements I would have been thrilled if I knew that every kid had stable internet and a computer at home and that that would have changed everything about what I was able to deliver and how I was able to teach, right? And so I feel very fortunate to be in an environment where I know that those two things are there and present for my students, and that I can lean on those resources. Um, and then I can use a lot of the pieces of media that students really relate to well, right? Like i, I Joke with a lot of my friends when they say, "What do you do?" I say, "Well, I run an interactive web show <laughs> three times a day yes. for, for students, right?" Because that's that's what it feels like that to them, it. right? Like they they log in, and you're using a lot of the same kind of stuff. They understand how to log into, you know, a, a live Instagram or be on Twitch or something like that. Um, they they have a context for this in in a way that I think that you know earlier generation, certainly myself growing up, didn't necessarily have.
1: Oh, they certainly have the technology technological weird. But I think even more than that, um, the, the level that I can teach, because I know, first of all, well, for those of us who have a background in teaching, like urban teaching, I spend a lot of time dealing with knuckleheads, right? And how much time do you have to spend dealing with that back row of kids who are having trouble and are disrupting? So what's different about virtual education is you don't have to do that. I mean, you have to deal with kids getting engaged and keeping them in, but there's very little disciplinary issue. there's very little stuff about um, about kids blurting out stuff and disrupting the class. so I can teach earth science pretty much i'm I'm an earth science teacher, so I can teach my earth science pretty much at a college level using vocabulary that's appropriate for the for the age but uh, the concepts we can teach are as high as as high as we need so it's a wonderful thing about the virtual education. So
2: going off of that, um how so we talked a little bit about how you came to cyber education and I agree like I say classroom management it's just it's a different sort of classroom management. Um, so obviously making that transition from brick and mortar to cyber, how did you what made you realize that classroom community needed to be such an important focus in our Cyber environment, because um, I know I'm hearing that a lot from my teacher friends who are now suddenly suddenly becoming virtual teachers, whether or not they wanted to. <laughs> uh,
1: I remember my first year, um, and I came at this from purely the performance angle. So, Allison, what you were saying about you know me having the background doing performance, I I came very strongly from that angle, thinking that uh, so I have this this cred, you know, like. Uh, of knowing how to, to meet and greet and do put on a show. And and I very much uh, went that direction when I, first, when I first started. And I realized that, I first of all, I was exhausted. I was exhausted at the end of every day. <laughs> Just <laughs> exhausted. As if I was putting on a radio show a couple times a day. Um, and I thought, hmm, I don't think that my kids are exhausted. I think... Their performance, eh, and their work, eh. but they love the show. So I I had to kind of put on the brakes and say, what am I doing? What am I doing? wrong? And I realized that the kids knew everything about me, everything. I've always been a discloser. You know, I, I teach, I'm right now on my front porch where I teach every day. And I teach with the camera on at all times. So the kids kind of get to know, they know, they know my son, Harry. Harry has done little shows for them Um, and they've met the dog and they've met everything and they knew everything about me and I didn't know anything about them. You know, I knew their classwork. And for those of us who started in brick and mortar, you know, we knew every little thing about our class (laughs) And it was it was funny because I had gone and become very successful in, in keeping students engaged you know, to a point to where they were there and they were clearly entertained. But were they, you know, edutained? Were they were they really? Um, was it a one way? Was I playing or were they playing with me? Was, it, was I doing a full kind of Gadamerian kind of play where they were actually interactive play? Or was I playing and having fun? And I, I found that I was playing and having fun. So I decided it's time to really think about building community and really stop and slow down and spend the time to um, build up build up my knowledge of my kids and slow down with the content. There's going to be plenty of days... You know, there's 160 times I'm going to talk with these, these these kids. And my standards, you know, we all know our standards. We all know the skills we want the kids to walk away with. But we want them to walk away with those skills. We don't want them to just ex- expose the skills. We want them to walk away with... Oh, there's my dog. Oh.
0: <laughs> I... I was about to say that's totally fine. We the the big thing we know from cyber education is that they they love those moments. So like we love it on the podcast too. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a, we have, my my they, I actually introduce one of the things I tell all the new teachers who are now new cyber teachers is to introduce your pets first. Like do that the first day because they're going to be part of the show.
0: It's also a great motivator. I literally just gave a homework assignment that had a picture of um, uh, my boyfriend's dog on it, and literally, uh, the the students were like, "Oh my gosh, Ms. Keith, like, who's this dog? Who's this dog? Who's this dog?" I'm like, mm, "I guess you're gonna have to do the assignment, and you'll figure out who's dog it is." <laughs> but they're they're so motivated to get those little slices of you know, of of your life and pets and all that kind of stuff. And I also think it helps them too, right, to be in a situation where if there's interruptions and things that happen on their side, it's a lot easier for them, one, to know how to handle it if we're modeling, but also to know that it's it's okay, right? We understand that you're in your own home and that things are going to happen, right? Like we can't be dogmatic about what happens inside another person's Space, right? Like the, this is your bedroom or your kitchen or your living room or your office, right? This is is some space in your own home, um, and so we want to model how to be respectful of you know the class's time and of your learning. Sure, but also you know it's okay, things happen. You want to roll with it.
1: It's true, and you know we make mistakes. I'm going to admit this, and I probably shouldn't to an English teacher, but my spelling is not as good as it should be, and I'm always uh, making last minute changes to my um, presentations uh, because I want to I, mean, I, I I don't do the same slide even two classes in a row I I'm changing for every class and there's always a spelling mistake in there there's always something in there and at first I was panicked about it I was embarrassed and then I realized the kids love it and it's kind of a fun thing for them to do part of part of my introductory thing every year with my students is. I expect you to make mistakes because if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying.
0: So mistakes, right? Mistakes, authenticity, vulnerability, right? These are things that are really important um, for classroom community. I'm really sort of hearing come come out of our, our discussion so far. Um, what else do you feel like is really vital for a classroom community. Poor Emily has to hear me talk about mechanics. And you guys know from our our last few episodes, we've been talking about gamification, and I always love talking about school as a game. So I'm constantly saying, you know, what's the mechanic here? Like, how does this work, right? So that's, I, I think that's what I need some help with for this one, Eric, is what what elements, what mechanics, what things do you really think are like vital for classroom community, especially in our virtual environment? What's the stuff that you feel like has to be?
1: Well, one thing is you need to find a way to get the kids to know each other. Now, in, in for our friends who are in uh, the brick and mortar elementary schools and have moved to cyber briefly and are moving back, it's a little bit different. But for those of us who work entirely in cyber, uh, these, these young people will never meet each other and yet share a ton in common. They share so much, because you know what? They're all kids. And no matter where they are in the, you know, wherever, wherever they are, they've got a lot of stuff in common. Um, in our platform, we have profiles, you know, the profiles that you have in our, in our class. Students are able to fill out some information about themselves and get a picture, and um, I make that required for my students. Um, so that they are, when they come into my classroom, uh, they can see a, a picture may not be of themselves. It's a picture of, uh, that represents them, uh, of some something that represents them. It may be themselves, it may be Ultraman or Superman or whatever. I don't, I don't really care. And this is also where they can put their gram information. This is where they can put their hobbies. This is where they put their their information about the youtube channel that they run this is where they can put the so the more information they, they get in there the more sharing we can do so one of the things i do with that i make that a required thing so the students are required to fill out information about themselves and then i play games with that there's there's your gamification Allison, just to make you happy yes
0: you know what i want
1: <laughs> um I'll do scavenger hunts. Every um, I, one of my one of my weekly processes is I do a scavenger hunt where we have to find um, like you know all of the people who mention tacos that they love tacos because <laughs> I ask them to put what their favorite food is. So we'll do that, and they'll be hunting through their through their profiles of each other and find a way to uh, uh, find everybody who mentions something. So that's one way that and the kids adore it. They look forward to that. Um, and I I do that on Mondays. By the way, I don't do that. A lot of people have fun Fridays. I always have a fun Monday, where I will also I'll, I'll profile a kid and I'll have a kid come on and talk about their hobbies and and whatnot. But also we'll play a game like that, a getting to know you game, every Monday. Not just because fun rhymes with Monday. That's one of my students told me told me this week. You just do fun Monday because it rhymes. But <laughs> I want to start the week with this community building every week. I want them to be thinking about getting to know each other every week.
0: I have never touched the profile part of our uh, learning management system. Um, I don't think I have even opened it up. So that is a fantastic suggestion. Um, And I'm, I'm wondering if this is some research that we can do, like, off screen um, for when we're doing a reflection episode, like, you know, does like Schoology um, and some of these other learning management systems that we know that people are really using have sort of profile features or how could we make that profile feature into something that sort of ties in?
1: Well, one of the ways to do that is to just do slides. Part of the fun Monday stuff too is kind of doing a hunt uh, through a deck of slides of people, pictures of what they do over the weekend or, um, something that they cooked. I mean, you know, food is always a thing. Kids love food. So any the more you can talk about food and throw food in uh the better. So, you know, have them talk about what they like and do a poll about what they like. If if they're not connected, they're not connected to the
2: work. I know. One of my students said the other day they were just chatting before class and um they were they were talking about things they liked they didn't like and um a couple of them were being uh, pretty forward, for lack of a better word. And one was just asking, like, will you be my friend? And I was like, oh my gosh, that's great. Like, some, the lack of inhibitions of seventh graders sometimes just saying, will you be my friend? Um, But one of them was like, "Um, no, I'm not making any friends because I'm only going to be here for a year. And then I'm going back to brick and murder school. I was like, you can still make friends, even if you're only here for a year. Like, you, you, you get different classmates every year. You, you can still make friends with the people in this class. Like, it's, it's okay.
1: And it's fine. I, I'm a huge fan of them communicating outside of the class. A community can't just be in the classroom. A community has to be beyond the classroom, too. And we don't have the opportunity to walk to school together. We don't have the opportunity to kind of hang out at resets and hang out in the lunchroom together. But uh, students, you know, they are tech savvy these days, so they have a couple ways to get in touch with each other. They know how to text. They know how to do this. But if you don't give them an opportunity to find out each other's addresses and encourage that, they won't, and they'll be isolated and... and won't, won't find any way to connect with that um, I, I also I, at the very beginning of the school year I actually contact um, all of my parents and tell them that I'll be encouraging that and if they don't want their student to do that like you know I tell them to I'll make notes and make sure that that's not happening but most parents are thrilled to tears because they want their student to be feel more connected with other students you know it's it's beautiful to see how incredibly Deep these guys can get with each other so quickly um, over a cyber a cyber environment. Um, I'm constantly touched by the support that people have for each other uh, when they're in when somebody's in crisis and and is willing to you know and wants to share about what's going on and the amount of you know I stop and we we stop you know I can you know what I can teach about. The uh, S waves in a in an earthquake tomorrow. Uh, we'll we'll all be together again tomorrow, and we can stop and we can talk about, you know, what to do when we're feeling really really down, or what to do when we're feeling lonely. And We can we can do that because we'll be together tomorrow.
0: I remember saying, I, I think this had to have been like my third year of teaching. Like I, I wasn't a newbie newbie, um, but I was still I was still pretty young and had a very similar situation where there was a student who was in the middle of a a really bad day. Um, and everyone knew that they were in the middle of a, a really bad day. Um, and this student asked, you know, I, I'd like to talk about, you know, this this thing that happened because, you know, these are my friends. And I, I feel like I, I want some space to talk about that. Um, and it, it was wonderful, right? The, the student got on the mic, talked about their experience um, and, you know, the, the rest of the class responded so positively, but it ended up taking probably 30 minutes of my 50 minute class. <laughs> and One of my poor little students who was, who was so worried about her academics, like truly this, this came not from a, a lack of empathy place, but like a, a genuine worry for like, uh, wh- what are we going to do? Like we basically missed a whole day of class. And I, I remember saying to her, yeah, but it's our class, right? Like it's our class. We can do whatever we want and what we need, right? Um, and one of the members of our community was having a really bad day, right? And we wanted to make sure that our community was strong, right? How am I going to go send you guys to group work or go send you guys to do all these things if our community isn't strong, right? This is an important thing for us to do today is, is to take time to be able to make sure that our community is strong. Um, but But ultimately, this is our class right? We're on our time schedule. If, if we don't learn something as well as we need to one day, we'll do it again tomorrow. We can always push that back, right? But I, I think that for many students, there is almost this anxiety about, you know, if I'm not constantly pressing forward, if I'm not so focused on work, if I'm I'm not, you know, testing, if I'm not doing this, if I'm not turning in this, like, what what's happening here, right? Um, and I, I do think that that is, is a place where we can see the, the pressure of academics really on many of our students and, and coming out. And I think it's why it's so important that there are teachers like you who are saying, you know, it, it's okay for us to take some time. You know, there's, there's plenty of times that we're going to get together to talk. Let's, let's make sure that our community is strong so that we can all move together.
1: I had uh, a very odd experience happening. Like I said, I'm teaching out on my front porch uh, right now. And uh, a few years ago, um, a bird actually flew into into a light over my head and fell onto my computer.
0: During class?
1: During, during class, yeah.
0: Oh, my God, that's amazing.
1: <laughs> Which was, you know, had me flustered for a little bit, but the the kids were fantastic and they, you know, we had a little burial and the kids talked about it and they talked about losses that they'd had. And this is not something in my, it was not in my lesson plan. That was not something that could be in my lesson plan, but uh, the kids jumped all over it. And we then you know, we got into a discussion about uh, crises that we had gone through and, you know, those little teaching opportunities that we all know, about we all learned about them when we were learning our pedagogy but then we all get involved in this hyper teaching thing where we think we have to deliver 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 those teachable moments and don't they don't feel as normal in, in a cyber environment to start with because you don't see the eyes of the other people you don't see their faces you don't see the, their body language you know you may see their their faces in different uh, platforms you can see their faces but you can't see their hearts you know these teachable moments just got to grab them and the kids the kids love them and you know, I think that's just kind of really old-school teaching in a modern environment is pick grab each teachable moment and really take advantage of it and that's that's how we get strong community we get strong community by listening to each other and supporting each other
0: do you think that one of the things that is difficult about cyber. Um, And especially for people like me, I mean, I I did my placements in brick and mortar classrooms and, you know, certainly had to do my student teaching, but my first job, um, basically out of college, that that was full time was this job, right. Um, And so I've seen, I think, many times educators struggle with when a student is just a name on the other side of the computer, and I think especially now, many teachers are seeing because you know you're you're starting the year in this kind of virtual way for for many teachers. Um, right, first
1: it, time it's, ever in their lives. Yeah.
0: Exactly, it's an extra amount of empathy that you have to give when you are not necessarily able to see the look on a student's face as they're looking confused or when they're reading feedback and looking disheartened, right? Um, when you notice a kid who, like, isn't turning in an assignment or isn't coming to your class or isn't responding to all the emails that you're sending, it's so easy to to a little bit say, well, you know, I'm, I'm putting out all this effort. What is this kid doing, Right. Um, when in reality, there could be a ton of things behind the scenes, right, that is keeping that kid from sort of being able to, to access you and to be able to access um, your, your classroom. And so I do think that the point that you're sort of making about building an environment of empathy and, you know, helping students to understand that they need to, you know, sort of bring to the table what's happening in their their lives, right? As much as you are. I think is something that is really, really critical to, to building that community. And I think is one of the things that is hardest about that environment is that you have to create access points in a way that does not necessarily happen when you're in the same room. There's there's different access points, right? When everybody's together in a room and especially with like middle school, like with, with my little ones, right? There's there's a different kind of posturing that comes with being 12 and 13 that, that you kind of have to break down a little bit. But I do think that creating those collisions, creating those access points is, is something really important. Um, one of the other things that I love about being in a cyber community is that we do have students who are from all over the state, right? And Pennsylvania is a great state because it's so varied, right? We have two kind of three like bigger cities. We have very rural areas. We have mountains, right? We have all of these varied differences and communities. Um, And one of the things that has occasionally been both a challenge and an opportunity is making sure that students from these very different racial, religious, geographic, socioeconomic communities are all able to build bridges with each other and feel like in our classroom, we're one community. Um, and so that was my my big question for you is given all those starting conditions, how do you do that?
1: I think Pennsylvania is a great example of, of such a diverse community, like you said, um, how incredibly diverse it is. Um, it's actually funny that we, were as we're talking today, um, today I had uh, one of my students who lives on a mountain in the middle of Pennsylvania show pictures and discuss her goat farm. Now, you can imagine how my kids in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh felt about that. <laughs> they were like, a goat farm? But <laughs> that, was a, that was a terrific opportunity for them to see, you know, how diverse we are and how like they had nothing but questions. They had so many questions. And as we're, you know, it happens to be that we're starting to talk about topographic maps. So we're talking about mountains and she's she's very excited to talk about, you know, what it's like to live on a mountain. And of course, those of us in the coastal plains and in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and the, it's, it's a very different experience. So um, having the kids be able to talk about their, there are different communities is a huge thing. I have a I have one thing that uh, I'm super lucky to do. This is just pure sheer luck, is that one of the things I teach is I teach about weather, and uh, teaching earth science. So at the beginning of the school year, I have all of my students uh, find out, make sure that they know what county they live in. Now, a lot of my kids don't know what county they live in. And we will make weather maps of the state of Pennsylvania. So everybody will look out their window, say it's cloudy it's sunny it's snowing it's raining and we'll make a map of the state of pennsylvania and we can then kind of have this fun thing that we created together using our diversity like using our regional diversity which is uh, something you simply can't do in a brick and mortar classroom because everybody's looking out and they're seeing the same thing so um use it use that diversity to to create something that's that's new and that's useful and it's a uh, powerful. Um, we have endless discussions about pop and soda. Are, are you guys both pop or soda drinkers?
0: Soda. I'm, I'm soda.
1: You're soda? Okay, yeah. We'll have endless discussions about, you know, hoagies and subs and pops and soda and the pronunciation, of course, in earth science, W-A-T-E-R, word across the state is diverse as uh, Pennsylvania, you'll find shocking different kinds of variations of ways of saying it. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a water person, by the way. I, I will never forget when I was a youngster and I found out there was a T in the word water. <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> I thought my teacher was wrong. You know, having that discussion is is a way of you know being together. We're different. We're not the same person. We're, we're a community, but we're different. So celebrate those differences. And that's a, a great thing. Um, Part of the Fun Monday project is um, that any anybody who's celebrating any type of holiday, I I want to know about it, and everybody else does too, because everybody's curious about the different holidays and different celebrations that we have. Um, You know, if there's birthdays coming up and family birthdays coming up, we want to know. But if there's uh, some, you know, some whatever you're celebrating in the week, that's going to come up on Fun Monday. So. That's a whole a whole chunk of time is set aside for what celebrations are this week for. So, I want to make sure that we're we're looking at what things we have that are in common and what things we have are, that are different and learn. And so, if, if we can give them an opportunity to ask and feel safe asking and to share and feel safe sharing, that um, it's fantastic what they can learn from each other. So
2: I totally feel you on the. Find your county on the map and point to where you are. I did. I do. I mean, I do it at the beginning of every year. So theoretically, my seventh graders, by the time they get to you in high school, they should know. Um, but yeah, we—they never know where they live because I do something similar with just like where where do you live? Find someone who lives near you, the whole nine yards, um, and. Yeah, they can never find themselves on the map. I live in this town. What county is it in? And I, half the time, I don't know where these really <laughs> tiny small towns in Pennsylvania are. Um, and then I, of course, Google it to find the answer quickly. Um, but yeah, they they nobody knows what county they live
1: in. Pennsylvania has a lot of them. So,
2: but one year, we did um, to introduce. I Can't remember what the, what we tied it to. But we talked about the soda versus pop debate. Um, did you know that in Western Pennsylvania, shopping carts are called buggies?
1: I'm adding that to my list. That'll be on tomorrow.
0: Yeah, that's a new one.
2: I learned that while researching it. That was the first time I'd heard that one. I was like, really now? So there's your fun fact for the day. And probably anybody who listens from Western PA is like, well, yeah, I
1: know that. <laughs> what do you call them? <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. Yeah, because it still throws me anytime I see it so, written down somewhere. Um, but, yeah, because we compared it to um, – I had, like, a slide with, like, the picture of the shopping cart. But then I also put, like, a picture of, like, an Amish buggy. Um, because, obviously, if you say buggy to someone from, like, central Pennsylvania, they're going to immediately think of, like, the Amish horse and buggy. So, yeah, definitely interesting.
1: But celebrating those differences is a great thing to do, you know. Like that, yeah. that uh, that we we're, we're diverse enough that we can use completely different terms to describe the same thing, and still be together as a community. And that's that's just a tiny little metaphor for what we're trying to do as a whole: is to be diverse and support each other and be be ourselves. And that's what we want our kids to grow up to be able to do. We want them to grow up to be individuals who can function inside of a community of differences. So as
2: we've been talking to various um teacher friends, a lot of people are saying, right, um, that moving to this virtual model is a lot harder for them. Um and they're really worried about like building that classroom community. Um and I've heard from some teachers who are just saying that this has been like terrible for their classroom community. Um, so, what advice do you have for them? And what are some like specific actionable steps that, if someone has started, feels so that they've started off the year on the wrong foot, how can they turn their classroom community
1: around? My thing, once again, is slow down. You know, don't think that you have to teach every little thing that you've taught before. You're going to get there. You'll get there, you'll get there, but you won't get there if the kids aren't with you. So, if the kids are are rooting for you, you know, be a human, have the kids root for you, make some mistakes, have the kids correct you. If you have to create a mistake for the kids to correct, I don't ever have that problem. I never have that problem. But, Allison, you guys might have to create a mistake for the kids to correct. I don't know. Uh, I never have that problem. That's my daily issue. But, you know, take the time, back up a little bit, you know, go back to thinking about, you know, what, what do the kids need to know about each other? And don't let them get away with just, you know, saying, oh yeah, I, I, I play soccer. You can't, you can't do that because the kids, that kid who plays soccer knows a lot about soccer. Even if they're like a, a really young soccer player, even if they're playing soccer for the second year, they have a lot to say about soccer. Is it scary? Is it fun? What's fun about it? What's the worst part? What's the best part? You get a conversation and you let the kids start going on a micro level about their interest. And the other kids, there's going to be another kid who says, you know what? I don't play soccer, but I play chess. And I get that same feeling. If you take your time and drill down and spend the time really getting to know each kid's micro interest. They're going to connect with each other, even though it's a completely different thing. Um, it may be cooking. You know, they get excited about cooking. And you started by talking about soccer and that great feeling you get when you're running fast. I love when I'm running fast and I get away from the other people. And you know, maybe somebody who's cooking says, "You know, I." I get that same feeling when I break away from the recipe and I kind of start making something different. My big suggestion would be just back up a little bit and start doing your your micro interview in in class. Um, find out the interest and follow up your questions. Don't let them you know, take. You have time for it. You have time. Trust me, you have time. And if the kids are then invested in in you and invested in your class and invested in each other, you're going to be so much more successful with that time that you finally then do use for hitting your standards. And you're going to have a um, more well-rounded student at the end of the year.
0: I mean, I could not have said it better myself. I think that um, the the idea of those micro-interests, I think, is really important and how are we asking students to connect. Because let me tell you, I have seen many, many places resources for helping students to share an interest. I don't know that I've seen that many resources out there for how do we take students with different interests and get them to find the commonalities and making space for that. Because I do think that that is a huge part of, you know, re- helping students to to make friends, right, and to sort of be a, a part of that community and sort of be together. So I, I think that that's absolutely brilliant. Um, our last question for you, Erica, and I, I can't even believe that we're like at the last question. I feel like this last, you know, interview has just like flown by, I looked down, and I was like, oh my gosh, look how much time has passed. <laughs> um, but our, our final question is one that we ask, all of the educators that come on here and sort of take this question as you will—it's it, okay to be a little bit interpretive. Um, which is, what do you wish you knew before you started? Um, d- this can sort of refer to specifically building classroom community. This can be you as a young educator. Many people do, you know, speak to that in this question. But what do you wish that you knew before you got started?
1: What I really wish I knew when I started is that I. You know, I had my lesson plans, I had my content I had to cover, I had all this stuff, I had all these ideas, I had my silliness, I had my ability to jump on camera, I had my dancing, I had my stuff, and I didn't know that I had time. I thought I had to cover, and I hate that term, cover, actually, but I thought I had to, but I think that's what I did. I wanted to cover everything. And... What I've learned now as a more experienced educator is, you know, most of those little tiny little details that I desperately wanted to teach when I was early on in my career, the kids are going to forget on like June 30th. (laughs) If it gets to June 30th,
0: they're not going to know any of
1: that stuff. What they're going to remember is the big concepts and the feeling they had in the classroom and knowing how to regather the information which I gave them during the school. All the stuff we can give them, is already out there on the internet. Slow down and teach them how to get the information and how to process it and to conceptualize it and put it into a big package. For me, that's a big package of, you know, what is what is our planet Earth? That's what I'm really teaching, right? If I spend my time trying to teach every little detail that's already written out in a book, and I expect the kids to walk away with all that information that's already written out in a book, unless my kids are going to become writers and write a new textbook, they learn the wrong thing. They need to learn how to communicate with each other. They need to learn how to be in a community with each other, how to be with in the community as themselves, how to tackle these problems that we're dealing with as as a society and, um, and come up with solutions to problems. So with people who are like you and people who are not like you. That's really, I mean, if I had known that when I had started, I, I wouldn't have ended every day exhausted.
0: You should never be working harder than your students. You know, they're they're here to learn, they're here to dig deep and I'm always here to work as hard as them. Right. Right, but never never more hard. Eric, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This has been a fantastic episode. It's
1: been so much fun hanging out with you. I'm uh, I'm a big fan like I said, so it's uh it's been, been fun hanging out with you and have a great school year.
0: So, if you would like to keep in touch with Eric, and we certainly think that you should, he's got some great content out there. Um, you can find him on Twitter at, at Piper underscore Eric. We will have that link in our show notes as usual. Um, thank you guys for joining us on this episode of the Cyber Sisters podcast. Our next episode is going to be our reflection on classroom community. Both Emily and I have some interesting ideas for how we're going to up our game on classroom community in our virtual setting. And I got some really fantastic ideas. Uh, from some of the things that you were talking about, Eric, definitely some things that were not really even on my radar, and I'm I'm ready to try them in my classroom. So that episode will be up on October 20th. Um, in the meantime, please keep in touch with us on our socials. We're on Twitter at AllisonKTeaches and at Sattler Cyber. We appreciate keeping the conversation going. If you have questions, right, for our uh, reflection episodes, please go ahead, DM us, Twitter us, however it is that you want to get them to us carrier pigeon if that's still a thing um go ahead and send those down please like comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and as always keep trying hard